John is on page 1067 of the Pew Bibles, 1067, and it's John chapter 4, verses 27 to 42. And this reading follows on from Jesus' meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have bought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many Samaritans believe. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Thanks be, and this is the word of the Lord. Lord, would you open our eyes to your truth, our ears to your voice, our hearts to your spirit, that we might glorify Jesus. Amen. You've heard me say this many times. Thank you, by the way. Because I can stand here and preach and not have to go into the middle and sort of preach sideways. That's brilliant. It feels like we're more together as well. So thank you for, for being in the middle here. It's great. And having people at the front. It's, it's great. You can actually hear people singing when you're standing there rather than silence, which actually helps. It really does. You've heard me say many times that we miss some of the impact of the scriptures. 
if we could have just the first verse, you know, I'm, I'm going to go from the beginning and sort of go from the top to the end, basically. Um, but we miss how much impact some, some of what is written has, because we're 2,000 years on, because we're 2,000 years away from their culture, we're 2,000 years away from that form of expression, and even the translation can actually downplay some of what is actually there. And the title for this morning is, is, is just as Disciples, effectively learning from the disciples. So, so my focus to start with is the disciples. But you'll see in a minute, I can't keep the focus on the disciples because I've, I've got to, in the end, change the focus to Jesus because that's what the disciples do. But this first verse could so easily be missed. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. I don't think I said... Was, I was here last week, wasn't I? I don't think I said this last week, um, but um, somebody else said this. And to hear them say it, was, it was really, really helpful. Think of this, the whole story. His disciples are surprised... For three reasons. One, he's talking with a woman. Don't do that. Don't do that. Not in that culture. In our culture, what's the problem? But in their culture, it's a real shock to see a rabbi, a teacher, somebody who has a band of followers talking to a woman like this. Number one. Two, it's obviously clear she's a Samaritan. We don't do that. We don't talk to people who are not... And to our culture, that's just weird. Because our culture has had 2,000 years to assimilate a lot of the Christian morals and ethics. We're now spending the last 50 getting rid of most of them. But we've had 2,000 years before that. The first law passed, contrary to Christian teaching, was passed in 1967. So it's this generation, my generation, that the laws of unraveled from biblical standards. You can't blame me for 1967. You lot were voting at that point. I was two, so, you know. <laughs> but that's, it's been unraveled, and that's the, the abortion bill that was passed. And some of it we might have no problems with because we've changed our understanding. But back then, just talking to a woman and talking to a Samaritan, not right. But here's the bit that I didn't pull out last week. Jesus, what time does Jesus meet the woman at the well? Can you remember? Midday. That's a bit weird. That is a bit weird. Because in that culture, the women went to collect water first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Do you know why? It was it's as simple as that, Lance, absolutely. It was too hot. Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun, but not Jewish women and Samaritan women in the first century. It didn't happen. So this woman is drawing water at midday. Why? To avoid everybody else, because she would have been shunned by them. Because, as it tells us, she's had five husbands, and the man she's with now 
is not her husband. So she's a bit of a scarlet woman. So she would have been shunned. And the Samaritans, sorry, the disciples would have picked that up. If there's a woman drawing water at midday, there's something wrong. And Jesus, so Jesus isn't, isn't just talking to a woman who is a Samaritan. He's talking to a woman who is a Samaritan who clearly has been shunned by the community. And, and they were surprised. It's such a, an anodyne word. They were, the Greek, they were deeply shocked, actually. So shocked that they thought it was rude to say, what do you want? Or, Jesus, what the heck do you think you're doing? Sorry, why are you talking with her? But that's the impact of that. And that's how shocked the disciples were. Utterly shocked at what Jesus was doing. The problem that we have is that most of what we expect, because it's not what they expected Jesus to do, was it? They've got an idea this man's special. They, some of them got the idea that he is Messiah. They've left their homes. They're doing stuff. But here he is doing something utterly outside their expectation. And actually, the group of people down who knew their scriptures really, really well were shocked by flipping everything that Jesus said and did. And that's the Pharisees. They knew their Bibles, then Bibles, what we now call the Old Testament, back to front and inside out. They knew their Bibles better than we do. But they were shocked by what Jesus did. The problem we've had is that for 2,000 years, we've got immune to what Jesus does. And we now have a set of expectations around what Jesus says and does just like the disciples did. When was the last time you were shocked by Jesus? A friend of mine, who's now a bishop, bless him. I'm quite sure how that happened. I'm not sure he's quite sure how that happened either. He's now the bishop of Fulham. Um, wrote a book 15 years ago called The Provocative Church. A guy called Graham Tomlin. And he wrote in that book, it's about 1 Peter, which says, the verse that says, always be ready with an answer for the hope you have. And he starts to unpack that by saying, you've only got to be ready with an answer if somebody asks you a question. And if we are anodyne and we are not doing anything that's shocking or not doing anything that's surprising or not saying anything that's surprising, we're not going to get asked any questions. Now, I'm not saying we should be shocking for shocking's sake. But we should be so much like Jesus that we should shock the world and the disciples and the Pharisees. Not because we're being horrible and nasty, but because we're bringing such radical truth. Whatever that truth might be. And I don't just mean standing against the declining morals and ethics in our country, but actually some of the, some of the positive stuff is shocking. To say all worldly goods mean nothing, to say career and worldly learning is nothing, is actually quite shocking in our culture. Because our culture is built around those things. 
So we should be a provocative church that does stuff that provokes questions. Why are you doing that? Why is that happening? Why are you like that? I guess we shouldn't be surprised at the questions around some of the stuff we're doing. Because we are provoking. Which is good. But the disciples are shocked. When were you last shocked by something the scriptures say? Something you hear preached? Something that Jesus is doing? As disciples, we should be shocked. But we like to be comfortable. Don't we? Well, I do. It's much easier being comfortable. Oh, you just like confrontation. You just like doing these big... Do you know what? It's much easier watching the rugby and having a pint. Thank you very much. Especially if we win. (laughs) Apologies to any Scotsman. But you know what I mean? It's just... It's easier. But actually, that's not what we're called to do. And the disciples go on. We'll ignore the woman for a moment. Come and see a man. We'll come back to that in a moment. They came out and said, Meanwhile, his disciples said to him, What's the time? Did we say? Midday. midday. So what are most people doing at midday? They're doing one of two things. Eating or sleeping. So the other disciples out. So they, they come up to Jesus and go, have you, had any, have you had any food, boss? Have you eaten? Because they're... They're working on worldly wisdom. I mean, I mean, you would sit there and go, but it makes sense. Of course it does. It makes sense. In worldly terms, but not in spiritual terms, necessarily. The two aren't separated, but sometimes God's economy is completely different to ours. We've learned, we're learning that as a PCC. You know, the more money we give away, the more, com- more money comes in. By worldly terms, if you, if I went to one of the financial institutions in the city and said, give all your money away, you'll get more back. <laughs> exactly, I'd get laughed out, wouldn't I? As quickly as anything. In fact, if I go to any other church around here and say that, I get laughed out. If I go to the diocese, I get laughed out. What are we doing? Looks at the man that keeps the accounts. <laughs> and it's, and it's working. Not because we've got it right and all the rest of it, but because we're being obedient to what God is saying. And when you're obedient, funny, the money comes in. From the strangest of places. Worldly wisdom says one thing. God may well be saying something. Not always. Sometimes he goes with the worldly wisdom and and lets you organise stuff. But his disciples said, the disciples... He says, I've had food to eat that you know nothing about. So again, their worldly thinking boxes that in, and they go, well, he must have got some grub from somewhere. Somebody's given him a sandwich out of their packet. Could someone have brought him food? You know, has that woman given him food? Has somebody else been around that we haven't seen? And he's, maybe they're even going, well, he's eating, what about us? We haven't had a chance. But it doesn't say that there. But then Jesus counters with, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus is always recalibrating the disciples. Nearly always the disciples go, 
And Jesus goes, uh, no. Uh, no. He, he, they, they're there, but they're not quite there. And it needs changing. So the disciples are shocked and wrong. Sound familiar? Actually, do you know what they are? They're normal. They're utterly normal. They're shocked by the things that shock them. And so are we. And they're confused by the things that are spiritual and not. They're utterly normal. They're not naughty. They're not sinful in this. They're just normal. But they let Jesus recalibrate them. So in the end, what we have to do is to come back to Jesus. We learn and see the disciples because we see ourselves reflected in the disciples. But now how does Jesus interact with them? And he interacts with them by correcting them. And as a culture now, we hate being corrected. Well, I do. I hate being told I've got it wrong. Don't you? None of us like it. But actually, if our thinking is wrong, we need to be corrected. As parents, we've stopped doing that. I'm not saying you, I mean we. We don't correct children as much. In teaching, it's changed. Be careful every time I go into school now. I want to correct and, and no. Because there is no truth now. All things are relative and it doesn't matter. So, But we don't like being corrected either. But we need to be. Our thinking is formed by our parents, by our family, by our experiences, by our education, by our work life. It's formed by all those things. And most of it is not godly. Thank God for the influences that were. In our families and in workplaces and whatever. But most of it is not because it's born on all... No offence. All education psychology is part of pants, really, because it leaves God out. From Abraham Maslow right the way through. It's just, you know, the first thing is, where's God in the whole thing? I'm a trained economist. All economic theory is pants. Because God is the provider and God is the creator. But this is the system, so now let's make it work. No, um, please. We need to, but we need to let our thinking be changed. Be transformed by letting somebody else do it. That's what it says, isn't it? Oh no, sorry, that's just the way we act, isn't it? Oh yeah, forget. Be transformed by the renewing of your, the way you think. Because the way we think affects the way we act. Be transformed by the renewing mind. If we allow ourselves to be corrected and recalibrated by Jesus, just like the disciples here, then we are being transformed and then we can say, along with Paul in, in Corinthians, one, two, one, I have the mind of Christ. He said, you have the mind of Christ. We do, if we let him. The problem is our mind gets in the way. And then you get this, uh, very rapidly now, you get this encounter with this woman that Jesus has told her and prophetically by the Spirit has spoken into her life. And she goes and tells everybody, this man's told me everything I've ever done. She leaves a word off that sentence. Because actually he tells her everything she's ever done wrong. Actually. Not everything she's ever done, just everything she's ever done wrong. And blah, blah, blah. 
And what happens is many of the, thank you, perfect. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So she is excited about her encounter with Jesus. Her thinking changes and she shares it with everybody. And people then believe. But I love the fact it doesn't end there. If now they believe, they now come to Jesus. And they encounter him. And their, their testimony becomes, and it's the last verse here, their testimony, be, so, sorry, but, yeah, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know this man really is. So that world, that worldly thinking allowing themselves to be changed, this woman is changed, and that impacts the next, excuse me, that impacts the next person, but it doesn't really change, properly change, until the next person encounters Jesus for themselves. How many of us have faith because we believe other people's testimony? It needs to grow into faith because we've encountered the Lord. So the first bit's not wrong. It just needs more. So what do we learn from the disciples? One, we need our minds transformed. Who's going to do that for us? Jesus. What do we learn from the woman at the well that you need to tell people? But how does that bring transformation? By them encountering Jesus. Bottom line, what does it mean to be a disciple? Encounter Jesus. Encounter Jesus every day through his word, by his spirit, all those things. Be ready to be transformed. Be ready to be corrected. Think differently. And believe this man really is the saviour of the world. Why? Because it's his words that bring eternal life. Amen.